This week on the Recruitment Flex, Shelly spends time with hockey royalty on the flight back from Nashville. If you're in HR, don't send chocolate body parts to employees. Contract recruiting is not so bad, and smart recruiter shines with candidates. TRF starts after this message from our partner, Ben Hey, Shelly, do you remember the days of being in corporate talent acquisition? Oh, absolutely. Every time the phone rang, it was another staffing agency claiming to be innovative and different. I used to wonder when someone would truly elevate the industry. Well, hold on to your hat here because that's exactly what Van Hack has done. Shelley, picture this. A closed community of pre-verified tech talent ready to relocate to Canada with all the paperwork taken care of. Sounds too good to be true? Well, not anymore. Van Hack has made it a reality. They have built the community of skilled software developers eager to make the move, and they handle the entire immigration process. And that's not all. They're taking it up a notch. Companies with offshore development teams listen up. Van Hack's introducing the Canadian Engineering Office. Move your entire dev team to Canada, and Van Hack handles all the nitty-gritty details of immigration and relocation. So can you imagine, Serge? The applause from your CIO if you were to walk into his office and bring this solution to the table. Shelly, every time I walk into an office, I get applause. But that's not all. (laughs) The best part is they've got certified immigration consultants on board who've done this countless times. They understand that every family situation is unique. Revolutionize the way you recruit, relocate, and retain talent because when it comes to innovation in the talent acquisition world, Van Hack is leading the charge. Get ready to be the hero of your company. Check out vanhack.com today. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, are you recovered from partying a whole week in Nashville? No, <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> it's not the partying that got to me. I've just been feeling under the weather since we got back. I can, but it wasn't I can hear it in your voice. I, I know. Can hear I'm sorry. Voice. Considering all the travel that we have done in the last couple of years, we've just absolutely been so lucky to not have gotten sick. But yeah, I'm feeling a little run down. So need to catch up on my rest a bit, I think. So Shelly, we haven't talked about this, but I was really jealous. So on the flight oh. back, first of all, we're in the line. I'm like, well, you're in zone one. Are you like first class? And of course you were, and I went and sat with the commoners in the back, but as we're going through and I looked at your seat number and then I'm looking at the seat and who do I see? Daryl Sutter. For those who don't know Daryl Sutter, he's a very Mm -hmm. famous hockey coach, was the coach of the Los Angeles Kings when they won the cup twice. And most recently is the coach of the Calgary Flames. So he was coming back from Nashville and you sat with him the whole flight. You sat down to not only a local celebrity, but anyone that knows hockey, one of the biggest celebrities. How was that? Do you know, I saw that little pang of jealousy in your eye when you realized that I had the seat right next to Daryl Sutter. And their whole family is like hockey royalty here in Alberta. 
for sure. Out of the seven or eight boys in that family, so many of them have gone on to professional careers in the NHL. And if you ever seen him interview, he's a man of very few words. The whole time I'm thinking, I have no idea what to ask him. Like he's there with his wife and his son, but you know, it was an absolute hoot was because this was a flight back to Calgary and he's so recognizable, people getting on the plane, you could see the look on their face that they recognize him. And then they look at me and give me an up and down and look back at him, not thinking to look across the aisle because that's where his wife and his son were sitting. (laughs) And so I was getting these looks like, who the hell are you? You're not Daryl's wife, right? It was like this, almost like they shouldn't say anything. Because I'm sitting there with him. One thing I said to him was like, I feel like I should have a bag on my head (laughs) or a sign that says I'm not with him. I was looking at the papers on Saturday to see if there was like a a page six type of story where Daryl Sutter is cheating on his wife with this blonde bombshell (laughs) sitting next to him. No, but I tell you, because there's no Wi-Fi on the plane. Oh my God, I was going through a surge withdrawal because I wanted to text you and say, what should I ask him? What should I say to him? Uh, it's so probably got, better, right? They, he probably gets bothered with questions all constantly. the time. So he probably appreciated you just being quiet and having a short conversation. Yes, he was the absolute gentleman. He put my carry-on, he put it in the overhead for me. And then when we were leaving, he got it down for me and just so absolutely gracious. So when I got home, I texted my sons, oh, guess who I sat with on the plane? And they were like, oh my God, I've never seen my son so interested in anything mom had to say. But they were like, tell me everything. I want details. What about this trade? Did he tell you anything about that trade? And I'm like, who? He's not going to talk to you about it. Is Backlund a person? (laughs) They got so (laughs) mad at me. Oh my God. Like, yeah, I don't think he wanted to talk about it because there was no backland trade and he got fired a while back, but still a local celebrity will always be, like yeah. you said, the Sutters here in Alberta, but he is by far the most famous and he's famous because he's funny as hell. Yes, he doesn't speak a lot in his press conference, but he has the funniest stories in such a deadpan manner that people yeah. don't know how to react. And I think that's part of the problem. The players revolted against him because they can't read him. Like he is old school. So yeah, that was fun. For me, Shelly, this will be released on the Friday. And by that time, I will have spoken at Disrupt right. HR mm-hmm. in Calgary. So I'm looking forward to that. Disrupt HR in Halifax with me not being there was marvelous. One of the best experiences. And thanks to our friend, Leah, who just did an amazing job and the feedback that I saw on LinkedIn and from all the presenters, but people at I forgot to mention Hila. Hila killed it. She came in last minute to co-host with Leah. And Hila is such a dear old friend who's here in Calgary and went to Halifax for less than 24 hours to do it. She flies across the country, knocks it out of the park. People were just so energized by her. She's amazing. So yeah, thank we you. have such good friends, right? Uh, such good friends and really appreciate it. So Shelly, let's jump into the news. All right. Um, this has made news recently about Google laying off 100 from their recruitment team. And generally 100 people from Google is such little news. 
But obviously in our industry where there's been tons of layoffs and there's a lot of recruiters looking for work, it's made quite an impact. I'll give you a little bit what was written. So 100 employees at Google's recruitment division have been laid off. Semaphore reported this week that Google's global recruitment team has been hit by retrenchments after the volume of requests for recruiters went down. Obviously, this is not a surprise, but it's another bad news story for the whole talent acquisition world with more recruiters being laid off. What was your overall take on this, Shelley? So sad. So sad, of course, to see anybody, any of our colleagues being laid off. But let me ask you this, Serge. Do you think if you applied to any tech startup and your resume says that you are a recruiter for Google, I don't think they're going to be unemployed for very long. For most anyone, it would be the pinnacle of your career to mm-hmm. have been hired by Google as a recruiter. And chances are they kept those that have like longer tenure or deep relationships. Those people in the middle tend to be the ones that get squeezed out. I really wish there'd be more information about where the layer got sliced. And considering their total number of employees is like, what, 180,000 people? Still, that's a lot of recruiters on the street, but I have faith that they will be picked up quickly. Yeah, and they got, I'm sure, very healthy severance packages and outplacement services and all the services included. What I'm always interested about recruiters from fan companies like Google or Apple getting laid off is when they go recruit somewhere else. Because recruiting at a brand like that, 90% of your job is done, right? Everyone is going to respond to an email or a message from a Google recruiter. Now you're going to go work at a startup and we're going to see how good a recruiter that you actually are, because I think the brand covers a lot of blemishes when it comes to recruiters. So true. Really good point. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. Are you ready for the next in the news search? Yes. Okay. It appears that some people are getting a little nervous about Canada's job market. And there was a really interesting way to look at things. The Financial Post talked about what would be the perfect landing, a hard landing or a softish landing as far as unemployment numbers. Right now, there is evidence that the unemployment rate here in Canada They're calling it out at 5.5% for August, which is holding steady after it did rise the previous three months. What's interesting, though, is that's across Canada, because in Alberta, we're hovering somewhere around 6%. According to this Financial Post article, they called that the perfect landing, where your unemployment rate would peak at around 6% with a slow transition to a balanced job market. They're predicting by spring of 2024, which lines up with what I would also agree with for Alberta. But there's such different job markets across the country that you've got to take a deeper look at what their supporting job numbers look like. What I keep hearing all this week, though, is still such an emphasis on trades. Regardless Mm -hmm. of province, I was listening to a news discussion this week talking about what we need to do to ensure that we've got more people coming into the trades because housing is such a problem. That was my takeaway from this search. What were some of the key points that you found interesting in this article? 
I think one of the items that I'm keeping an eye out, inflation rate just came out at 8% in Canada. And if we looked at the average hourly wage increase by 4.9% in August. So the wages have been rising, but they're still not meeting what inflation is. So we still have a ton of people Mm -hmm. struggling across the country, even though unemployment is still fairly low in historical context. People are struggling, and this is causing a a really interesting job market. Like we've talked about, companies have the ability to force employees right back to the office because there's not as many options as there were. There's definitely less job postings than there's been in the past as well. They've been reduced pretty dramatically. I personally think that spring is way too early. I think this market is going to take a lot longer to recover. But who am I? Obviously, TD Bank has a lot more data than I do. I just think spring is very optimistic to see this labor market balance off, also inflation to cool down. As we've noticed in the past like three years, no one gets it right. No economist has been able to figure this out. So we're not going to be able to, Shelly. I think it's just keeping an eye on it and see what the market actually brings. So Shelly, let me jump into the next in the news. And I thought this was great. This came out of the UK. So it's a story about an HR manager at a property company that is accused of sending a phallic-shaped chocolate with a racially offensive message to an employee. Oh, no. This is HR behaving badly. This is HR behaving badly. Um, Oh my God. (laughs) So the gentleman that received this chocolate penis, I will just say it. Oh uh, God. Is filing a lawsuit (laughs) to this HR manager. I never think it's a really good idea to send genitalia of any type to any of your employees if you're an HR manager. And I know, Shelly, you have a little bit more details to share what you read from it. (laughs) Oh, my God. True life is stranger than fiction. Like, you can't even make this stuff up. Who could be so stupid? What's even worse is that it turns out that the HR manager's husband was reporting to this supervisor. And she had made some sort of comment to him like, you're a dick. Yeah, (laughs) like you're just a big dick. And then sends him a chocolate penis. What makes it even worse is that it was the HR manager and the fact that her spouse worked for this supervisor as a janitorial manager. Her husband worked for him. And (laughs) like... How bad does this get? They should just write him a check and apologize. Like, it doesn't get any worse. Well, they offered him a $50 gift certificate, which probably didn't help, right? And this is where companies go in and like, what are they thinking? Like, try to resolve this in a way that's not insulting. But I guess this shows us that HR doesn't always have the best judgment. It doesn't matter what role you're in. And we see this from CEOs making really bad decisions. And I think this is an example of an HR person definitely not thinking what the possible repercussions of doing something like that could be. It's just stupid. There's only two things I can possibly think of. One is that this person was just simply given the title of HR and has zero training. Could be. Zero. Zip, zilch, zero. Or they honestly believe they're above 
any repercussions Mm. because they're HR. Because I've met HR people that are on quite a power trip because they do have the power and the ability to influence whether people get promoted or get raises. So Shelly, what's the tip of the week? Okay. (laughs) After that article, search, (laughs) oh my God, please stop. Please stop with singing that. (laughs) So tip of the week is this. We have several times over the last few years talked about the power of personal brand for recruiters. And what we saw at RecFest last week with Joel Lalji, if that was not proof enough, there never will be. Standing room only. And what resonated with everyone in the room was the fact that once he invested in his own brand as a person, candidates responded to him like never before. Because if you're reaching out to somebody and they can go and see that you're extremely active on LinkedIn or any social media, chances are they'll respond to you. It it is such an investment. It really is. It's a real investment in your career to say something and to actually be building your personal brand. And not just on LinkedIn, but I think all the way around so that if you're reaching out to strangers or you're reaching out to someone who's already heard of you or you've interacted sometime in the past, your response rate when you've got an opportunity for them is going to be increased. I 100% agree. And we saw it. There was a lot of recruiters at RecFest. And the recruiters at RecFest automatically went to Joel. And Joel uh, is not a recruiter anymore, I believe. Like he's focused on uh, coaching recruiters, yeah. which recruiters are his audience that could buy his services. And obviously, he was a star there. Adam Posner, who's pretty big on social media, one of the things that he said is like, it takes a long time, but it doesn't. And if that makes any sense, don't expect that you're going to start posting on LinkedIn or TikTok and suddenly you've got a massive following. Those that do well with this, they've been doing it for years. So start now, I guess, is basically the advice. Build your personal brand. I guarantee you your in-mail responses or your email responses will go up because they will see you or hear of you. One thing I would point out, though, is Joel Lalji is a bit of a unicorn. Yes. Because he's only been at this for about a year. However, what he did was he took what made him successful as a recruiter and applied it to himself. That is, if I'm a recruiter, what is it that job seekers want? Like he understands. And so his audience being other recruiters, he knows what he'd want to know and share. Well, he's been doing it for more than a year. I've been following Joel on Twitter for at least four years, and he's had a fairly big audience. He has spread it around and really grew his LinkedIn and TikTok following in the last year. But he's been very active on other platforms for a long time. So that leads perfectly into the recruiting insight. Shelly, take the first one. So there was a long-winded and exhausting article (laughs) that we're going to do you a favor here, everybody. And we're going to summarize this article. And it was understanding LinkedIn recruiters. It's a pricey tool. And I think just one seed. I know previously you could only buy it as part of a bundle. Yeah. And... I don't know if their dashboard has improved that dramatically 
over the last 10 or 15 years, because this article talked about being able to track the success of using LinkedIn recruiter seats. I would start by saying, can you really as an organization, when I think of companies that I know really well, being able to directly attribute hires back to LinkedIn? Because I think what what happens as recruitment teams, we get desperate, we get on LinkedIn recruiter, then we get busy with something else, and we may not get back to people. And so it becomes the start and stop motion. The only exception in my experience, has been larger recruitment teams that truly have sourcing as a function within the talent acquisition team. Because you can have all the fancy dashboards that you want, but the fact is you need to be able to tie this all back to making a hire that is directly sourced because of LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn's Dashboard is very focused on response rates and the volume of what your recruiters are sending out. And that's not always the best measure because we all get tons of different LinkedIn emails, either from recruiters or sales. And I would say 99.9% of the sales ones are just a complete waste of time. And then when it comes to the recruitment side, you do get a ton of spam as well. Like I, I get LinkedIn emails for roles that I'm like, really, what in your profile made you think that I would be a fit for this? And this is where volume is not better than quality. I'd rather have a recruiter reaching out to three people a day of very high quality and maybe getting one response out of those three because you are not ciphering through a thousand emails that you sent out. And yes, you got 800 that responded, but they're all bad quality. And it also depends like how much time you do in crafting your message. I do think personalization is real. And not just like bullshit personalization, whereas you don't know anything about me. Don't pretend like you do, but trying to find a connection. And you're right. LinkedIn seats are extremely expensive. So in the US, they're $10,800 a seat. In Canada, I think they're around 13000 if I read that correctly. So when you have a team of, I don't know, 10 recruiters, we're talking $100,000 a year. And I'm not saying there's not value in that because that might be a really good source of hires. But to your point, you got to be able to tie everything back to the hire and not focus so much on the response rate. So quality over volume when it comes to LinkedIn recruiter, that's what it's supposed to be used by. But to be honest, Shelly, I don't know why anyone would use LinkedIn recruiters. There's way better tools leveraging all of LinkedIn's data and so many other sources like Seekout and HireEasy that I know I think are a Robot better too. value tool. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Rollbot yeah. is another example. There's great tools out there. But I, I don't see the LinkedIn recruiter tool going anywhere at all in the near future. I think there is a reluctance if it's what you know. And maybe it's a little bit of fear with these automated tools like HireEasy that rather than seeing this as you're not going to be spending hours upon hours reaching out to candidates that will never respond to you versus tools that will help you customize your message and help you put something really meaningful together. But all of that doesn't mean crap. If you're sending somebody in mail message and your LinkedIn profile 
shows that you've got 100 connections and you have been with this company for 90 days. So I'm not saying that a junior or someone who's just starting out in their recruitment career can't use it, but think about it. Think about it just for one second. Like, if you're a job seeker, are you going to respond to somebody whose LinkedIn profile and their personal brand is zero? Yeah. No. But will LinkedIn's dashboard give you that sort of insight? It won't. It'll tell you that you've got terrible response rate. But I think you've got to look at your personal brand first. Because you could get a one-sentence email from Joel Lalji and you'll respond to him. Right? Yeah. You will. Because you can see that he is super knowledgeable, super active. He's so approachable. At least we're looking at some type of metrics and we can still leverage. Like there's nothing wrong with the dashboard. I think the message here is you have to dig in deeper to everything. Data is king, but understanding what's behind the data is even more important for leaders. Shelly, I want to jump into the next recruiting insight and Do you have a lot of friends that are contract recruiters? You know a lot of people that focus more on the contract side of recruitment or run their own mini staffing company. We do. We've got a couple of wonderful friends, friends of the show, people that I love and admire that work hiring either contract people or they themselves are freelancers. Yeah. And if you looked at a couple of years ago, all the contract recruiters that I know, and this is not the ones running the staffing firms, wanted to become a full-time employee. And Mm -hmm. I've hired contract recruiters in the past and brought them on as full-time. And this article written by Kevin Wheeler really goes into the seven reasons to not be a corporate recruiter. And I think he has some really good points, especially in the economy right now. And, And I get for recruiters, why they would prefer being in-house compared to being out on their own. There's a certain amount of stability, a constant paycheck, a little bit of structure, some tools that can definitely help you out. But there's also some disadvantages to being in-house compared to being a contract recruiter. Like if you're in-house, you're for most people relying on the brand that you're recruiting for. So if you work for Google, great. It's going to be a not an easy job. I never want to say easy. It's going to be a lot easier than working for a company that no one knows about. When you're a contract recruiter, you are forced to build your own brand because you need to carry that brand through multiple companies. So people are not looking necessarily at the brands. They're looking at a recruiter that's reaching out to them. And I'll tell you, that's a great asset to have if you're a recruiter, because as we know, recruiters are the canary in the coal mine. They're the first ones to get laid off. And we're seeing it. I think the article with Google is the perfect example. So when you are a contract, you're building your own job security. You can actually be better. You're not working within the constraints of that talent acquisition department, and they might be using antiquated tools, antiquated process. I think that's definitely an an asset. I think for me, the biggest thing is when you're a contract recruiter, your income potential is unlimited. It's basically how much you want to work. If you're successful, you can make a lot of money, which in-house recruiting, you're very much limited to what your salary is. So you're really cutting short your potential, especially if you're a really good recruiter. The other element, and we're both the same, we love flexibility. Like when we talk about returning to the office as a contract recruiter, for the most part, 
you don't need to go to the office. You can be very flexible with your schedule. At the end of the day, you've got to be delivering results. And for organizations, there's an advantage of bringing on contract recruiters, right? Like it's cost effective. You can turn on, turn off the switch, especially if the company is so focused on the cost or is struggling financially. And this is a way to cover the gap. So overall thoughts, would you want to be an in-house recruiter or if you were a contract recruiter, should you stay as a contract recruiter? Obviously, you and I are entrepreneurs. And I worked as an in-house recruiter, loved it, had a ball, because I'd come from the staffing agency world, then went corporate for 10 years. And what really got to me the first, say, two years that I was in-house was the fact that I was personally handling three times as many files as anyone else and getting people hired. Oh, and two years later, they're all still there. So my retention rate was great, but my paycheck looked the same. So as an entrepreneur, having control over how much money you earn is, to me, the number one factor. Flexibility, you know what, Serge, I probably work more hours than anybody. And it never bothered me. That's your choice. That's the difference. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And it was my choice. You're right. I wouldn't say job security because I'll tell you the contract recruiters were the first ones to be let go in the corporate world. But I guess the trick is if you are going to be a contract recruiter, a very wise person told me early in my career that you should always have clients in various industries. Hmm. Don't ever tie your wagon to a single horse. And that has proved out to be a a really smart move. Because if oil and gas is down, banking's up, healthcare's down or up, diversifying the types of industries that you work within, I think is key if you're going to stay a freelancer or an outsource recruiter. Yeah, I, I agree with that aspect. But I do think if you're starting your own staffing firm, being super niche is actually a good way to approach it. Becoming the expert in that particular industry. And as Adam Postner talked about Web3, he became the Web3 expert when it comes to recruitment. I think there's tons of benefit. There's our friend Marissa, who's very focused, I believe, on power engineers. That's all she recruits for. And she's been very successful at it. But they're running staffing firms, right? Which is different than being a contract recruiter going in-house and working different industries. And we saw this in Calgary with oil and gas, people just knowing oil and gas, and then there's tons of tech opportunities that come up and they have no clue or have no credibility and don't get hired. So I agree, disagree on that point. So I would say very wise to choose a job family that transcends all industries like our friend Kim Wilkinson. She's built her entire practice on being the go-to for accounting. So smart. Because there isn't a single business or industry or company that doesn't need accountants, right? So that's really smart. I'm going to stand by my philosophy here is diversify outside of industry. 
I do want to move to the next recruiting insight. On recruiting brain food, I saw a post, a LinkedIn post from a gentleman called Timothy McKenna. He's not in the industry. He's a senior designs and product leader. And he wrote a post ranking the top ATS from his experience applying for jobs. And this all came about when he looked at his password vault and he had 209 unique workday logins, 209. So that's how many times that he's had to create a workday login, which is absolutely insane. And as we've talked about it, anytime that you're asking users to create an account, every time they apply, there's a massive drop off, but he's applied for a lot of jobs and he gave his perspective of what the best ATS are. And I think from people that are in in the industry, we know we have a feeling which ATS we like, but we don't apply for as many jobs. Some of us do. A lot of his findings go with what we've thought, right? Number one on the list and got a rating of 9.5 out of 10 was smart recruiters. Mm-hmm. Not a surprise as a recruiter. I love it. It works really well, but I also find the experience for the candidate really good, really smooth, really easy. For a biggerish ATS, I'm not surprised that they're number one. Then there's a couple that came up that I never really heard of. Number two, Ashby, never heard of it. So I need to be digging in deeper. Then it was all the usual suspects. So Greenhouse was in Fort Lever, Fifth, Workable, Six. Then there's other ones that are way smaller, like Rippling, Recruity, iSIMS, surprised and not surprised because the candidate experience on iSIMS is still very iffy. And in last place was Workday. Mm-hmm. So obviously he has never applied for a job on UKG because that would have come on the <laughs> list as well. Yeah. But, and it got a zero out of 10. iSIMS got a two out of 10. So I think that was the most surprising one to me. Still a decent ATS, but the interface is very old. There must be tons of tech that at iSIMS, I'm assuming, because it hasn't changed dramatically since I used to sell iSIMS 10 years ago. So Shelly, any surprises for you? No, no surprises. What I loved about this, though, is the fact that Timothy McKenna, who wrote this article, has a background and user experience as a senior manager and director of product design. True. So he's critiquing this from how tech should work. So just love the fact that he's not from the industry. He said iSIMS was the original bane of existence. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. So good to see this from a job seeker's perspective. What I love about smart recruiters is you have one account and you can see all of your applications to various companies in one place with one login And you can reuse past applications for other jobs or create a new application. From a job seeker perspective, that's fabulous. And what was interesting was we didn't see Taleo and we didn't see success factors. Mm. And so I just wonder if it's maybe companies, like he'd be applying to software firms, most likely, right? As a product manager or a product leader and senior design person. So maybe those companies aren't using success factors. I don't know. Curiously absent from the list was those two. 
The constant team, and I agree with you on smart recruiters, that's giving value, right? To create an account, but they still don't force the account creation. They just give you that additional value if you do it. But what I saw here and where the biggest pain, and it's one we've been talking since day one of this podcast, is the minute that you're forcing people to create an account to apply, your drop-off rate and the experience of the candidate goes down dramatically. So there is a way to change it when most workday is probably not one of them. UKG, I'm assuming it's not success factors. And we know why those organizations use it. They're usually very large organization and this just becomes part of their normal ERP. You got to find a way to either overlay on top of Workday with tools like Phenom, Eightfold, or whatever the case is. Mm -hmm. But come on, these ATS suck. And I'm glad he called it out. And congratulations to smart recruiters because it validates what I've been saying for years. So Shelly, Yes. A couple of key things yep. that are coming up. HR Tech officially announced that we will be at the Plum Boot from October 10th to the 13th. We will be there 11 and 12 from 11 to 3. Still working on a ton of confirmations, guests that we're going to be bringing on. But it's going to be a lot of fun in Vegas this time. And I hope they figure out this whole hack before we get there. Right? Because oh I God. do not want a shit show there. And that is pretty much it for events for a little while. So I need a break. So thank God. Thank you, Shelly. Thank you. Au revoir. Shelly, let's face it. Texting candidates is the easiest way to hire quicker today. But your cell phone doesn't connect to your ATS. You're sharing your personal number with strangers. That's pretty scary, right, Shelly? And mm. it's not even legally compliant. Mm, this is where our friends at Rectex come in. They've created simple yet powerful text recruiting software that works with your ATS. Plus, it's designed by recruiters for recruiters, so you know it works. To learn more and book a demo, visit www.rec.com. TXT.com. Mention the recruitment flex and get 10% off annual plans. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast.